Welcome to this, the third series of our Ghost Lights podcast. This season, we'll be talking to some brilliant young changemakers who are challenging the system, asking questions of established leaders, and already making huge contributions in their bid to make the world a better place. My guest for this second podcast in our Changemaker series is Tami Schweikler. Tami is the managing director and founder of the social enterprise Makers Unite. Based in Amsterdam and with a strong emphasis on sustainability, his focus is on entrepreneurship, social innovation and creative leadership. Welcome, Tami. It's lovely to have you uh, in this conversation. Where are you in the world? What do you see out of your window at the moment? Pleasure is all mine, Tracy. It's a pleasure for me to be here at Ghostlights Podcasts. I am sitting in Amsterdam uh, today. I'm watching this very greyish Dutch weather. And October tends to be the most difficult month of the year. So uh, we are enduring. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm here in the UK and it's equally grey out of the window. <laughs> but Tommy, it's lovely to have you here. And I, I think a great place would be to begin at the beginning and to ask you about Makers Unite. How did the idea come to you? How did you come to found it? Yeah, it's really nice for me to always come back to the starting point of Makers Unite, which is uh, not by founding a business, but by answering a, a social issue, which was the refugee migration crisis in 2015 and 16, the Syrian, as 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 consequence to the Syrian conflict. Uh, so we had thousands of uh, newcomers, refugees, we refer to as newcomers, and, and moving into Europe in 2015 and 16. And I was at that time busy with a uh, working with the social enterprise in Africa, in Kenya, uh, building a beautiful motorcycle brand to support local taxi uh, chauffeurs uh, to get a first employment, which was for me a dream job. My background is in design and entrepreneurship. So building motorcycles uh, to help minorities for me was, uh, was a great opportunity. But at the same time, uh, this big challenge happened in Europe and, and my doorstep in Amsterdam uh, where refugees were not welcome. And I thought, well, that, that I wanted to do something locally with uh, my abilities or, or, or something that I could help. And I was uh, volunteering at a, um, a design lab, actually, uh, in the outskirts of Amsterdam called The Beach, thebeach.nu. And they were in discussion with the local government on several possibilities to react to the crisis. And they were invited by a Greek organization to think about the challenge of upcycling life vests. So when a newcomer crossed the sea from Turkey to Greece, the first thing that is left behind is this orange life vest that's left on the shores. So they can continue their path towards Europe. At the point, uh, we're looking at millions of, of vests that were being piled up in, in the Greek islands of Lesbos, Kios and Samos. And when I look at that, the perception of a designer is to uh, be a connector. So to look at the problem, uh, not from a solution perspective, but from a questioning perspective and gathering the different stakeholders to uh, mix these opinions and think, okay, what can we do about it? So. In Amsterdam, I got a group of uh, newcomers, locals, politicians, designers, just average Dutch people to, to think around a box of life vests and say, what can we do about it? But actually, the life vest is not the problem itself. It's a symptom of the problem. The problem is social exclusion. 
And when we inquired newcomers, uh, what is the meaning of life as for them? It was really surprising because they said, well, the meaning for me is about hope. It's the only thing that I have to cross uh, over the sea. And when I start to step in, in, in Europe, my life is going to start again, which is actually a very beautiful story. And that time, you only see tabloids or newspapers uh, using the life as a symbol of the crisis. So I, I heard a story of hope. And when we would ask Dutch people uh, what does an orange life as means to them, they would say, well, orange for me is the color of King's Day, the biggest, the biggest festivity in the Netherlands. I thought, why don't we make a positive symbol to talk about the crisis from a positive perspective, a perspective of opportunity, a creative symbol of hope to share the story and to try to raise awareness about the fact that newcomers are people just like you and me. They have hopes, dreams, opportunities, and talents, and they deserve a new chance of society, but we have to work together. We have to work together to create this new start. So we started a campaign called Rebest Life in 2016 with installations made of this life as we brought 2,000 lives to Amsterdam we started to make ribbons, uh, just like the AIDS of, of cancer awareness uh, ribbons, but one made of life as in orange with a card saying, uh, newcomers are new here uh, and we should work together to create a more inclusive society. And the unfolding of this uh, campaign was really positive. We had thousands of ribbons that were made by uh, local Dutch students and newcomers together. And the making process created a, le- a lot of opportunities for them to connect, to create friends, to find opportunities of uh, housing, opportunities of work. So we gathered this and I thought, okay, if I would think of a commercial business that will make textile products and use the making process to create connections, um, this could be a sort of a circle going around process. And this is the start of Makers Unite. It's a social enterprise to create sustainable textile products together, to create opportunities for newcomers and locals, uh, 50-50, to, to grow together as a more inclusive society. I've been doing this now for the last six years and um, so far so good. Uh, well, Tammy, that, that's such a fantastic, there's so many things I love about that. I mean, your convening power of bringing, you know, newcomers, as you say, refugees together with government comp- companies, locals, and that's, different way of looking at as you say that potent symbol of of life vests that we did all see you know in our newspapers and actually turning those into something powerful something positive I mean I'm always interested in you using design thinking and creativity and design as a means for bringing people together and I wonder if you can say a little bit more about how that actually works in in practice I cannot do other way. Um, uh, for me, design thinking is a way of uh, understanding how big problems can be solved uh, in a simple way, how to test ideas, assess concepts, and, uh, and see what works, what doesn't work, restart and prototype again. The starting point for, for me was to create a, a blueprint uh, to understand, for instance, we had newcomers uh, in this making process with us, they got into uh, a given opportunity. So I started by making a blueprint of this trajectory that they followed. And based on this blueprint, create an assumption of uh, a blueprint of a business. But on the design thinking process, you never stop with your development. I'm always looking into, okay, how can we test this uh, assumption of a business and collect insights that help us to grow further? So every new stage of Maker's Night was always a a design thinking process. We had a brainstorm, a co-created brainstorm, which always involves input from uh, newcomers from our team, from our board, from clients, from uh, from the most diverse as possible, create a new idea, 
test this idea out, uh, see if it works, see if it doesn't work, and then move on to the next step. So for us, I think the, the, the biggest wealth of design thinking is allowing multiple perspectives to be taken into a solution and never assuming that this is a, a given set top-down solution to move further. And this also has to do a lot with the co-created nature of Makers Unite. There's a lot of way, an, an, another way that we do apply it, which is by co-creating products. So bringing input from uh, big companies that have uh, design teams or marketing teams, and they have a certain, a certain ambition to launch a, a certain product. So we combine this with a, a total diverse input from newcomers who bring a total fresh new perspective. And the result of this is beautiful. It's, uh, it's, it's innovation, it's uh, creativity. And most of the time we're, we're, we're looking into solutions there, making the, the planet a little bit cleaner. I, I must say that the, the levels of applications, I think, in our, in our process go from uh, a strategic to a very practical one to the to design of products. And then besides strategy and, and products, we have our program, uh, the, the revenue, of the programs of, of production of, of Makers Unite is reinvesting into social closure programs for newcomers with a creative background. So we train them uh, for six weeks to create a career plan. And after the six weeks, they're stimulated to be connected to the job market. This whole process is co-created, is, is based on design thinking sessions and creative thinking processes and tools that help newcomers to think a little bit out of the box because sometimes it's difficult for you to regain confidence into yourself yeah. and, and into into society and believe the creativity and design thinking tools are really helpful for you to recognize to refine uh, find again your own potential and trust in yourself and i believe that trust is the fundamental element for social inclusion uh, when when a newcomer trusts himself again they can trust in ourselves in our relationship in our communities and little by little in, in, in getting to, to a new job, into the society we live. So it's very multidisciplinary in the application of, of design thinking in our process. It's genius on so many levels, Tommy. And as you say, that co-creation, that giving people tools and the work, you know, the working together that you talk about and giving people confidence. I mean, I wonder, I mean, it'd be lovely to hear perhaps uh, you talk about the sort of narrative of some of your newcomers. I mean, maybe... Is, is there a story of somebody who came perhaps early on in 2015 and, and what has he or she gone on to do as a result of their association with Makers United? Well, now we have more than 250 stories to tell. But the one I, I, I keep remembering, which was the first one that, that really sparks me the idea of, of thinking of this scalable program, was a boy called uh, Hassan who came here as a tailor. He was um, at the time around 18 years old and then started right away to try to because we, we got to know each other in this making of the ribbons i thought i want to help this guy i'm gonna get him a job as a tailor when i realized that he was too young to know that he should be a tailor and i get to him and say hey have you thought something else you'd like to do I said yeah I, I i do want to be a computing engineer but that's so far from my reality and what do you know about it? Well, I just got this computer from a friend in the refugee camp. I'm doing this uh, online courses at Oxford.com called Python. I said, I didn't even know what Python was, this coding language. But then I saw a lot of eagerness to, to someone with a lot of potential. And I made a call to a friend that was starting a coding school for newcomers. I said, hey, I have someone for you. And we made a we'll call in a match. Uh, and Hassan connected to the school. And now I think we are six years later. He graduated from university on computer engineer, got a lot of jobs as coding, 
uh, he started his whole career and he's a successful example of uh, someone with uh, a lot of talent that needed an opportunity to shine. And I believe that his story really paves my sort of obsession by connecting talent and opportunity because I believe that there's a lot of, uh, everyone has a talent, but, but it, it deserves an opportunity in order to flourish. And I think a lot in society today is connected to talent that is not connected to opportunity. Mm. And a lot of our challenges could be solved. These connections could be facilitated in a better way. Yeah, that's connecting talent to opportunity. I mean, I, I'm just thinking as you were talking, I mean, presumably the Dutch government is a huge supporter or partner of Makers Unite because this is, is such a positive story you're telling. Yes, it is. We, we, we do have good relationship with the government. We don't have any structural partnerships because we are a business and we, we are a business, a commercial enterprise that uses its revenue to foster social inclusion. And this is sometimes hard to understand, I'll say the, the governmental institution, because we are, we, as a social entrepreneur or social enterprises, you are always trying to innovate beyond the scope of what is traditionally accepted. And for instance, the governments, they have uh, in the Netherlands a structure of collaboration with private organizations that is related to a financial commission. So if you have a financial agreement uh, with the government, they, you can also be liable for what you do. And in my request, I never asked money from the government. So I wanted to, how to create the ability in this process. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation that has to go within what we do and what the local government or pr provincial government uh, wants in, in try to find alignment. And still ha has to be a lot of work from my end, our end, uh, in order to convey our message. Uh, but after these years, we're taken uh, into a lot of discussion groups, into a lot of uh, think tanks uh, in, in, in the several levels in, in the Netherlands to rethink potentially the role of social entrepreneurship to tackle uh, upcoming challenges uh, in, in this transition to our sustainability. That's interesting. But I mean, you do have pretty vibrant collaborations with, with businesses, don't you, with par partnerships with businesses. I mean, how has that worked and how have they evolved since 2015 when you started? Yeah, that's really, for, for us, is, there are a lot of dimensions to be lucky to great to have good partnerships. Eh? We have uh, partnership with uh, Ben & Jerry's, uh, with Lush uh, Cosmetics. Uh, we have a uh, partnership with uh, a big transportation company, Arriva, Estelic Museum, TED. So it, it, it's really nice because the starting point of a collaboration with the corporate is shared uh, owners shared value base. So we, we work only with companies that had uh, a, a proven like-minded traditional value that connects to ours and our work can be an added value to the work they're trying to achieve. So if you look, for instance, at um, Ben & Jerry's, uh, they have a strong uh, social mission to enable a better positioning of, of refugees in, in Europe is one of their four pillars in the social mission. Our work, making T-shirts by newcomers in our production that can be sh given to their clients, is an added value to this. So structuring this partnership for us brings us revenue to sustain a company, sustain our programs, but brings to the company a huge added value on showcasing their commitment to a sustainable transition. And it's, it's specifically today the companies are uh, uh, facing a big challenge into providing a transparency when it comes to diversity, inclusion, to sustainability, 
our proposition offers to them a clear way of showing to the world, look, we're doing something that's not only good, but is real um, and is proving real benefit uh, to every partnership that we do we also deliver to the companies an impact report that says hey, this is the amount of hours that creative employment for former refugees this is the amount of material of sustainable fabrics that you save from waste for instance this th those are kind of uh, deliverables of our partnerships and that's also really interesting because we don't call our partners clients we call them partners because we're working together with a similar mission so that that's really nice that that's uh, for us uh, working with businesses is a way a, a large business this is a way of uh, diffusing our story to a broader audience which is a key element of our mission to to diffuse awareness is really a key element of our mission that's great that your starting point is 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 a shared ethos and a shared vision i mean i i saw recently i think it was recently tell me that you did a a workshop with kate rayworth around sort of donut economics and and i know that that's the sort of the circular economy as you say sustainability the planet is absolutely key to everything you do i mean is there an example recently of of, of something you've done in that space that you're particularly proud of at makers unite well, that's our day-to-day. -day. Actually, after the book of Kate's term, uh, circular economy or the donut economics have been widely diffused, but that's our starting point. Uh, that we have been uh, solving a social issue uh, with a environmental solution by taking textile waste out of the waste and making new products out of it. We are using this opportunity to create social inclusion. So we call it this a doubled donut deal. <laughs> um, the thing is, when looking into circular economy, quickly you tend to think of uh, wind energy, of electrical transport transition, or CO2 saving. But the starting point for me is making wise use of our resources. And, and in Earth, we have, uh, we have human resources and we have physical resources. And for me, if a society is not working properly because their resources are not being properly used, talent is not properly allocated to opportunity, that means that there's a, a, a failed circular economy process there. Our proposal at Makers Night is to try to solve this on a sustainable way. So we make just production for fashion brands. They they're, uh, want to work with the recycle. Uh, fabrics, uh, circular textiles is a, is, a, is a big role of our work, only because uh, I cannot solve a social problem creating an environmental one. It doesn't make sense for us since the beginning. So we've been doing this, and now we, we're scaling a lot into going into the sphere of uh, repair in large scale for big brands to create in, in employment for marginalized communities. There's a lot cooking in, into the this uh, this way. And I think that these opportunities only tend to grow. Uh, the, the opportunities of living in a world where we make conscious use of our resources uh, is endless. Um, it just makes sense. I mean, you speak, Tommy, so so powerfully. You say we've got a lot of cooking. There's a lot of energy there, and and you're doing huge amount. But I just wondered, how did you guys cope with the last eighteen months when essentially any economy, let alone the circular economy, sort of stopped, and yet. As you say, these social issues didn't stop. I mean, how, how did you adapt while we were all yeah. in lockdown? It was, it was uh, yeah, in, in most of sectors, very challenging. We had our orders. Uh, we serve either companies that are making events or fashion calendars or cultural institutions. While well, museums were closed, 
fashion shows stopped and there were no events. So our orders stopped from day one to day two. What was really interesting is, is because uh, using this grassroots process uh, at Makers Night, I thought I'm just going to bo- go back to the tailors and say, what do they say? And we had a, a group of tailors sitting in, in an idle production line and they basically look at me and say, look, we have a lot of fabric and a lot of people we need in the city who are homeless. Why don't we make, make a face masks to give to them? So with an open heart, that the opportunity is said, you know what, let's just do it. If we're going bankrupt, let's go in, into, in the best possible way. So I started to produce thousands of face masks for homeless people uh, in Amsterdam and to donate them. But this action got so much attention uh, from the local media, newspapers and TV. It, it's quite crazy, right? So the, the, the refugees that were being excluded from the country suddenly are helping the Dutch people to go over uh, Corona. So what was interesting is that this uh, has been picked up for the media and we got due to visibility and a, a large assignment from hospitals requesting to make medical vests. They say, hey, I saw your campaign for the face masks. Could you produce this commercially for us? And that that was a huge assignment and, and save us, uh, allow us to bridge over the period of, of, of COVID until we started to get assignments back again. So uh, it, it was quite special. It was a process that was really special for us. And of course, have to readapt our team and our, our, our process and our, our intake to diversify what you do. A uh, great story about how, you know, generosity of spirit, your initial thought to make face masks for homeless people, you know, results in actually, you know, you getting a, a commercial contract. Not that you did it for that, but that exactly. you know, you're... Yeah. Tell me, as you know, as you look into the future now and you're a, a design thinker, I know very well from our previous work with you. I mean, and as you think about where you want to go next with this, I mean, are there current frustrations that you wish to turn to delight or is there a natural next step as to what, where you're going to go with this in the future? Yeah, I think as a social entrepreneur, I look into problems uh, and try to look into them uh, with a, we call it the preemptive entrepreneurship process. Unfortunately, we work today solving global problems. So there's a specific issue that came to the Netherlands and then we create a solution for it. I wish that social entrepreneurship would avoid social issues to happen before they happen. And that's also go into uh, the environmental issues. So I'm looking into, for instance, uh, there, there's a lot of new instrument of migration that will happen in Europe due to the Afghanistan, for instance. So I'm looking into how can we create solutions for this before it happens here. And to what has to do with uh, uh, fashion production, I'm looking into it, how can big fashion brands produce less so create a, a more sustainable way of living and trying to always combine how do we provide solutions to a specific market that benefits the whole. And they will create employment uh, at, at one end, so they'll create sustainable products on the other. That is not a win-win, but a win-win-win uh, situation. Um, that, that's what I'm looking at at this moment. So not only in the Netherlands, but we're looking in, into a few uh, opportunities of uh, scaling our process abroad and, and going closer to where newcomers are in need. Mm, interesting. Oh, we're almost at the end of our time, dear Tammy, but um, I just can't resist asking you a last question at, you know, this time where, you know, there's we look around the world and there are some depressing elements to, to 2021, but you're somebody who creates opportunity, who deals in optimism. 
as you look around at the moment, what, what gives you hope? I think what gives me hope is there was a moment during the last two years that uh, the overall perception of how the world works uh, changed. Uh, there was a moment that uh, the average consumer look at how, for instance, supply chains work and thought, hey, that's enough. And, and there, there, there has been a shift in thinking how our partner consumption work. Unfortunately, now we see that the way that 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 the 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 ports all over the world are getting flooded again. Uh, uh, it seems that we're going back to the same place. But I, I, I'm very hopeful that there has been a spark of change. I've, I've read recently in a lawsuit of McKenzie saying that uh, after the COVID crisis, uh, the consumer is willing to, for instance, the fashion consumer is willing to purchase uh, items that are more sustainable. Well, that seems to be something really small, but if you look at the, the, the spectrum of it in the long long term, uh, they really can spark change. And I really, how, how can I say, I am an addicted optimistic. Uh, I, I think uh, that there's always a chance and a challenge to look at the other way, to look at how the glass is, uh, is half full and how can we from this challenge create a new opportunity. Well, it's been a great pleasure to talk to an optimism addict. Thank you so much, Tammy. And and also thank you to everyone for listening. You'll find some links to Makers Unite at the end of this podcast and hope you'll join us for our next Changemakers conversation. Goodbye. Thank you very much.